What's up, dads? How about you squeeze in some workouts between dad duties using my dad fit eight-week calisthenics guide? Totally free. Just uh, subscribe below, or I'll send it straight to your inbox. You, you got to stop making excuses, man. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Dad Fit Podcast. I'm Barrett Nobel, the host of this thing. Today, we got a special guest, Dr. Jordan Goldstein. Doc, how you doing, man? I'm doing very well, Barrett. Thank you so much for having me. I am pumped to talk all things dad, fitness, sports, fun. <laughs> so, do you care if I call you Doc? I forgot to ask that. You call, as long as you don't call me doctor, I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. I am, I forgot what I was going to say. But yeah, tell us a little bit about your background and stuff, man. No problem. So I don't like to be called doctor because I have a PhD in kinesiology, but it's just a, a, a PhD in history. Uh, so I'm a historian and a philosopher by trade. Um, and I deal in the history and the philosophy of sport. That's why I have a degree in kinesiology. So I taught the history and philosophy of sport up at a university here in uh, Canada, in Ontario, where I live for about eight years, uh, between the years of 2015 and 2022. Uh, I no longer do that anymore, and we may get into some of the reasons why or why not, but it's immaterial. Now what I do is I coach uh, individuals in uh, sort of life endeavors, but also in fitness, uh, specifically using the idea of physical challenges, sport, exercise, exertion as kind of like the crucible or uh, the way in which you can unlock mental and spiritual progress and then transfer that into other domains uh, of your life that's awesome that's a that's a mouthful <laughs> what made you initially interested in uh the history i suppose because that's a it's a very unique from my perspective a very unique approach to sports and athleticism in general and it's like, <laughs> it's one of my favorite things about you. You're the honestly the only person I know who's taken that route. I'm sure there's others, but in my limited world, it's a breath of fresh air for me. Yeah, thank you. I've always been interested in the past. I love stories. I love drama. Um, I like to be able to connect the dots in terms of what led us to where we are in the current moment. Uh, and I find that history is one of the best ways in which you can understand and piece that together. So I've always been fascinated in the past uh, and up in Canada here. Sports have have quite a mythology. Um, I was actually thinking about this a little bit. I, I don't know if there is a more romantically connected country to sports and the way that sports have created, sustained and sort of nurtured a, a national uh, culture uh, up here in Canada. So sport history is something that's almost like just intertwined into the history of Canada uh, in a way that is not so apparent in other in other countries. 
Um, and I was always fascinated growing up. I loved sports. I loved playing sports. I loved watching sports. Um, but they're not taken as seriously as other cultural forms like, you know, music or drama or literature, things like that. Um, that didn't seem to make any sense to me because they have such an outsized power on what people actually care about. I mean, I mean, people don't really care about like if, if an author from their country wins like a major international literary award or like a scientist wins like the Nobel peace prize, it's like, it's cool, but like you get like your national team into like an Olympic gold medal, or you got like an athlete that's going for like a world championship, like and everybody in the country is going to start to follow along with that. Um, you know, so sports have this immense power that, that people just like them. They're popular. Um, they're meaningful. Um, and so I was always gravitated to these activities because of the apparent meaning they not only had in our culture, but just, I was super interested in them. And, and, and it was this idea of why does a certain sport or how does a certain sport come to represent a specific country or a group of people so strongly uh, that, that interests me in sort of the history of sport. And as I mentioned before, being Canadian, the obvious connection there is ice hockey in, in Canada. Like ice hockey is the thing Canadians are known most for in the entire world. And in fact, I've never forgotten this line. It was a line from my one of my sport history profs when I was in a PhD. And I don't think he meant this in a positive way, but I believe it's a very positive thing. He says, ice hockey is the only thing in the world that Canadians are known to have both invented and be the best in the world at. How could you not take that as a good thing? I think it's amazing. It's like, I think that's, I think that's, it's beautiful. I, I think he yeah. meant it like kind of in jest and tongue in cheek, but you know, most <laughs> academics, most academics these days aren't really proud of the places they come from or, or uh, proud of the activities that are associated with those places. Um, but to me, like, that's just so amazing. And I wanted to know like how and why, and that led me into my, my sort of, desire to to study sort of the history uh of sport specifically and then once you become a prof you teach it broadly yeah it makes me think of uh england specifically because they invented football and they used to be number one maybe in the 60s i think they peaked when they won the world cup last but <laughs> they've been getting crushed ever since then <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like England is the country. Great Britain is, you know, the the empire that gave that idea to the world, right? That sport not only is something that's important, but that it's related to the sense of like a national culture and a national identity. And they did that uh, with cricket, right? Cricket describes in, in England, you know, the playing fields uh, of Eton in rugby, you know, the famous quote from the Duke of Wellington, right? The Battle of Waterloo was won on the playing fields of Eton, right? Um, so so it's, it's, it is powerful, right? These things, these activities, sports, they're not just superficial things that, you know, come onto our TV and entertain us. Um, they have a power beyond what most people assume. Um, and that's what I'm really interested about them is how deep that power goes and how can we touch it and then apply it in our own lives um, to sort of use that power for its best potential. Yeah. Yeah. You had an interesting point there where 
you mentioned that people aren't necessarily they don't necessarily pay that much attention to the authors but if the the athletes are on the world stage and they're paying attention to them yeah. it's it's so true and it's I, I don't know i thought that was a very interesting point yeah it's what what it's what what culture really comes down to is what people pay attention to what they remember and what they want to pass on right and this lineage of sports is something that's just so obviously apparent just in our own lives in terms of just like something like professional sports or in the united states like college sports it's like i'm going to cheer for the team that my dad cheered for my dad cheers for the team <laughs> that his dad his dad cheered for right and i'm going to go to the same school that my dad played for or 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 those those kinds of things right like sports are these powerful bonds between generations and between communities um and anything that can do that powerfully to me is not something to be taken lightly. Uh, it's something to seriously investigate. Um, and this is what pushed me out of the history departments and into the kinesiology department because historians don't think sport is something that's serious enough to study. They think it's trivial, uh, which, which is, which is ironic just for the breadth of history of sports and athleticism and how important it is to cultures. And people kill each other over stupid wins and losses. Like, how is that not important? <laughs> it would be seen as something that's like, that's like vulgar, I guess you could say. So it's not that it's not important, it's that it's vulgar. And when people pay attention to it, they are deluded, essentially. Like they're being, <laughs> they're being fooled into thinking that these things matter. Uh, and in so some sense... It, in some sense, you can understand that, you know, you got like, you see the videos on social media of like the adult children, I'll call them who like break their TVs or something when their sports team loses. Like, yeah, that's a little bit, that's, a, that's, that's a little bit too far. Right. But, you know, the idea of like three generations of a family going to the famous stadium in their city to cheer on the team that's been there for a hundred years okay that's a bit different now we're talking about something that's that's much more meaningful and purposeful uh that's not just linked to the superficial my team better than your team me good you bad right <laughs> yeah that real caveman mentality with that <laughs> ain't that the truth <laughs> that's funny so you said you've always been pretty involved with athletics um that's from a young age is it your family fairly is like are you the athlete family i guess lack of a better way to put it i wouldn't say it was we were completely athletic but my dad was very much into sports and competition my mom didn't have that history but she has that same desire to com to compete um and so sports were something my sister and i were always put into i played hockey and soccer my sister played baseball um it was never the most important thing that we did. It was something that was that was important, but wins and losses, you know, championships, personal records, these weren't the things that were the most important. The most important was, you know, to have fun, to learn and to be act and to be active and to push towards your best. Um so so playing sports was important, watching sports was important. Um especially hockey um, and 
especially between me and my dad, like traveling to go watch live sports was something we really bonded over. Um, I grew up halfway in between Detroit and Toronto. Um, so we would be going to like Red Wings games or Leafs games or Blue, J Blue Jays games. And then when they came like the Raptors, um, these were sort of just sort of like common road trips that that we would take. Um, and I was really lucky to, to, to go on. So they were these really special and important things that we got to do together and share together. Um, it wasn't just always on the couch or, or those things. Although I do have some really great memories of, of watching some of those important sporting moments. You know, the one that stands out to me is the uh, Canadian men's ice hockey team winning the Olympic gold medal in 2002 after 50 years of not winning it beating you guys the yanks uh, on your home soil when your <laughs> olympic ice hockey team had actually never lost a game uh, on uh, american soil before uh, in the two uh, previous times you had hosted so this is a big it was a big deal for us anytime canadians beat the americans in anything it's a big deal <laughs> like it's a you know the little brother the little brother big brother thing uh yeah. even if it's the thing we are known for and are supposed to be better at it's still we just, we love, we love beating up, beating on the Americans. And <laughs> I remember watching that. I just remember watching that game and in February, 2002 with my dad and my sister. And it was a anticlimactic win. Um, There's a couple of really big moments in that game, but it was a five, two victory and it was February in Canada. And I remember we got in my dad's convertible. We put the roof, we put the roof down and we took our <laughs> Canadian flags and we drove up and down the big street in our city, which <laughs> Hundreds of other people also decided that they wanted to do at the same time, right? So is this, you know, it's this incredible, this incredible display of celebration and and uh, passion in a very typically Canadian fashion. Um, but yeah, sports were an were an ever present part growing up, but they were never the most. It was never the most important thing, and we were never pushed into anything we were uncomfortable with. Um, so I think we, I think we had a really great, uh, really healthy relationship, both with consuming, um, and, and participating in sports. Yeah, that's good. So, you know, <clears throat> when I was growing up, there were several kids who were just forcibly in, made to do sports with travel teams and just like their dad was trying to relive their, their glory days for lack of a better term. And their kids were miserable. Like, I, I absolutely hate this, but my dad's making me do it. But yeah, I don't, I don't see that being positive for any child or any person, really. No one wants to be forced to do things, especially like physical activity like that. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a, a, an element of misplaced. I mean, clearly there's an element of misplaced energy in that <laughs> relationship, especially with like the parents putting it down on the kids, sort of like their failed, yeah. their failed <laughs> dreams in sports. Uh, and, and part of this and and I think maybe you'll have some to say about this. I think part of this is because as, especially as men, like who used to be athletic and who used to strive to, you know, like get to the next level until eventually you're told you're not going to that next level, bud. Like, sorry, your, your career, your career is over. Um, man, that's pain. That's painful. We, we recognize how painful that is for like a professional athlete when they've got to retire, right? And they're like, oh, now what are they going to do? They had this identity and it's gone. Uh, but that happens to millions and millions of men as well, to young <laughs> men at these really 
difficult ages, you know, you're turning, you know, you're, you're moving into adulthood, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. And you had this sense of yourself as an athlete. And then all of a sudden it gets yanked away from you. And it's done in this pretty vicious manner as well. Like where people laugh at you and it's like, you really thought you could go pro. (laughs) You're kind of foolish, dude. Like give that up, give up those silly dreams, give up that, that dumb identity that you held on to and, you know, get into the serious world of like making money and acquiring wealth and status. Like that's what you have to do now. So there's this, there's this sort of identity death that happens. That's not a recognized, respected or, or, or sort of like nurtured in a sense. Uh, Instead, it's like you're down society kicks the living crap out of you. And then they say like, give, give this part up of you. And men are like, I don't want to, but I now don't know how I'm supposed to express it. So you see this like over consuming sports. You see a lot of guys in their like young and mid twenties, 10 fantasy leagues streaming like hours and hours. Yeah. streaming hours and hours of sports, right? Like the most time I ever consumed sports was in that direct period. After my own athletic career was over, I was a high level soccer player to horrible leg injuries in my sort of junior and senior year of high school and in my career. And then I stopped participating in sport, but I still wanted to be athletic or known as somebody who loves sports. And that was just right into, right into consumption. And then when you've got a kid, you still have this wrestling with your lost identity and you don't know how to direct that energy. And I think that's a big piece of it. If we gave men an avenue to continue to compete in a way that they could aspire and dream and, you know, get better then as dads and parents, they wouldn't be foisting these failed expectations and misplaced this misplaced energy that comes from this sort of like identity transformation uh, onto their kids. And you don't see these poisoned father son relationships, which <laughs> too often I think define the youth sports kind of like landscape these days, both in your country and in my country. Yeah, yeah, it's spent any time in any sort of youth sports. You you can tell the parents they're the ones screaming their heads off or just like pacing around so annoyed at everything and just like they're like five and six year olds, man. <laughs> what are you even doing with yourself right now? <laughs> oh my god! Oh my gosh, dude! I can I share a story. Like, so oh, my absolutely. daughter, I'm wearing the I'm wearing this uh, this hockey toque right here. Uh, I guess as you call it down south, a beanie. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, but like she is she's she's basically been in like she's she's five and a half now. So she had two years of hockey before this, which is it's kind of like a glorified learn to skate with hockey equipment and a stick, which is actually amazing. Um, If you want to, if you want to teach your kid how to skate, get them full hockey equipment so that every time they fall down, they think it's hilarious instead of it hurts. (laughs) Right. And, and, and and they pick it up so quick, but this is like a learned, it's like a learn to skate program. Right. Okay. And at one point last year, the, the, it's all volunteer run in my time. I live in a small sort of like rural village uh, and it's a completely volunteer run association. It's not affiliated with anything other than, you know, our own little minor association. Yeah. Uh, and they had to send around an email reminding parents. I'm telling you like five, four, five, six year olds, not even playing games. <laughs> they had to remind parents like that, like, this is not the place like to take it out on your kid because one of the parents 
in the dressing room screaming at his kid about how he's performing on the ice as a six-year-old kid. And what was really interesting about that email is because they didn't name that person. Like, I think everybody who read it was like, oh, my gosh, like, are they talking about me? Like, what have (laughs) I like, what have I done? Maybe that was inappropriate. Like, should I, you know, and it makes you think about like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that or acted like this. And it clearly wasn't like me or like the majority of the parents. But the fact that there's one person who is willing to yell at their kid when they're six. And there's, we're not even playing games yet. They're not even games. Like it just shows, it just shows how messed up the priorities of people are in these, in, in these, in these situations. Like it's, oh, it's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. They're, they're just straight projecting insecurities and a bunch of nonsense on there so, of themselves onto their kids. I hope, <laughs> hope for the sake of their kids that they snap out of that one. Cause like I said, I saw that a lot growing up. And I, I grew up in a small rural area too, so it's not like not even like anyone was professional athletes as parents around me. They were just high school athletes, and they're still trying to relive that like twenty years later. Like, come on, man! Everyone knows. Everyone knows it's not going to be good for your kid. Just just back off. <laughs> we're, we're we're kids in a cornfield kicking a soccer ball around. No one's going professional right now. <laughs> Yeah, it's the big dream. That's the that, it goofy is goofy is the word, man. It's it's yeah. it's silly and it's 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 really sad because you think about like that kid. <laughs> you think that kid's going to be like happy to go and like play sports now? No, he's going to hate it. Yeah. He's just going to think this is the place where dad yells at me. <laughs> fun. That's that's fun. Like that's a, that's a lot of fun. That fosters a really good relationship like in, in terms of like physical activity and like family, it's, 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 it's so awful. Um, yeah. it's just, it's, it's just brutal. <laughs> so bringing back to your academic stuff, how did you get into philosophy as well? So I'm very curious on that side of it. I know there's definitely a lot of overlap for certain areas of it, but what, what's your intro to philosophy and how did you, I know you call yourself a philosopher as well. So it's clearly a big part of who you identify with. Yeah. Uh, it's a good question. I, I would say that even as a historian, I was more of a philosopher of history than like a straight historian who sort of like documents archives and sort of presents the record of what happens. I was much more somebody who interprets events, synthesizes them and then provides a, my own kind of interpretation. Um, so I've always been more interested in sort of the narratives of history than the documents of history. Um, and then as a, prof- as a professor, um, when you show up, you know, you just get assigned courses to teach. <laughs> um, oh, really? <laughs> so, right. Like I didn't know that either. A <laughs> little bit of the, the, you know, you don't necessarily want to see how the sausage is made, but like, <laughs> That explains a lot for some of my professors. Like, what are you doing teaching me this? So it's it's like you just need to know a little bit more than the person you're teaching in order to be an effective teacher, right? So so <laughs> I, I certainly knew more sport philosophy than any of the first year kids in my class. So, you know, I was confident there. Um But I'd always been interested in philosophy, especially political philosophy. Um, so that was always something that I was 
studying a lot in um, in my historical research. And certainly my dissertation in my book that I ended up writing is just like dripping with political philosophy and, and that kind of an interpretation. Um, and so when I showed up as I was, I wasn't a PhD when I got my first teaching gig. Um, and my first class that I ever had to teach is called, we call it the womb to the tomb course. So from the very beginning to the very end of sport, uh, the, the, the history and the philosophy of physical activity. So it starts in pre in prehistory with sort of like evolutionary biology of how like the body came to be in its current form and how exertion, especially like long distance running played a part in giving us the anatomy and the physiology and the biology that we have. And then all the way to like yesterday in terms of like what happened in the sports world with like controversies or memings or, or, or anything. So it was this big grand course, which to me is like, that's what I love about. I love the grand narrative of, of history. I like the 30,000 foot view. Right. So it was this yeah. beautiful, perfect chance for me to, to speak about this sort of grand arc and then to, pick up sort of the the arguments of the of some philosophers some philosophers of sport but also like general philosophers you know you're talking about like uh, classical greek philosophy or medieval philosophy people you know like aristotle or st thomas aquinas uh for example two big big interesting figures uh who, whose ideas you can sort of blend into uh, the world of sport and then map onto the historical developments that are going on at the same time. So teaching that course to, you know, 18 year old, 19 year old freshmen um, was incredible. And there was something that was very special about having to teach this course. Cause as I mentioned, I have a PhD in kinesiology, but I'm just a historian. So I'm in a science faculty. All of the students in my class want to be physiotherapists or MDs, right? Or PTs, right? None of them want to be historians. None of them want to be philosophers. And I'm teaching a mandatory required class that they've got to do in their very first semester. So to me, this was like this amazing challenge of like, okay, how do I communicate to these students? And how do I make them see that this stuff is important and that they need to know it? So I had to learn how to communicate in a very general style right um to people I, I just considered it more like a general audience than like somebody who was captive to the historical and the philosophical nuances and that just forced me to become a better communicator and really made me learn these things in a way um that wasn't you know above the level of that that somebody could uh couldn't under couldn't understand them yeah. um and the really cool thing about the philosophy of sport that I just I, I gravitated towards was its sort of its moral property, right? Because when people think about philosophy, they end up into sort of like what is objective truth or like what are the definitions of things like categories, yeah. you know, the cliches of philosophy, you know, people like sitting around and arguing like what is a chair or like or what is, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah fair enough. Like, 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 I get it. Like that stuff's important. Uh, and there's a rich sort of like a, there's a rich field of like, what is sport and trying to define sport and what is included in sport and what is not included in sport. But to me, it was the normative elements of philosophy and normative just means like, right, like what is good and what is bad, like ethics, morals. Uh, yeah. And to me, that was really cool because sport becomes this like 
experimental testing ground for moral character, moral qualities, uh, and ethical decision making, which I think people who know sports and like sports, like you obviously understand that. And then when you map it into the his, the historical development of sport as an activity, and you look at the arguments of the people who were promoting this thing throughout history, it becomes pretty apparent that, oh my goodness, sports are a vehicle for morality. They're not physical, like they're expressed physically, but at their root, they relate to, you know, what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. And ultimately, these are kind of like more spiritual questions than they are, than they do, sorry, than that they have anything to do with the body, right? So sports are physical, but that's not what they're really all about, which is, I think, why they're so misunderstood in our, in our society. And it goes back to like what I was talking about earlier, like historians don't respect sport. People don't understand the depth and the significance of it. It's like, you can feel their power, but you can't describe why they're so powerful. And to me, that's, that's what I like to do. I like to come in and say, no, this is why, this is why they're power. This is why they're powerful. It's because they're related to these deep elements of you know when you start to get down to it even some of the the deepest existential philosophical questions um that philosophers have been trying to tackle for you know however long there's there's been philosophy yeah your opinion matters dad despite what society's gonna tell you i'd love it if you shared your thoughts left a review let's make the community better man one review at a time what do you think i'm sure you put a lot of thought into it but <clears throat> what do you think is why is it overlooked so frequently like throughout society it's like it's like clearly a physical manifestation of morals but that part is just missed somehow what do you attribute that to i think broadly speaking it has to do with the understanding of the body either as a place of utility or vanity or as a place of sort of like deep spiritual connection right so cultures or ideals or say like religions that don't view the body mind and spirit as connected as one tend to discount the importance of the physical right so as a particular as a particular example Let's just talk about like this idea of like no sports on Sunday. Like, what does that, what does that mean? No sports on Sunday. Right. Okay. So that's like a, a, a Protestant ideal, right? Is that the body is the locus of temptation and sin, right? So the body is weak. The flesh is weak, right? The mind and the spirit are elevated above the body. So therefore anything that's related to the body specifically is therefore related to like that vulgarity or that vanity or that temptation or, or, or that sin, right? So sports become trivial. They're not important. They're not related to the deep work you're here to do. And if they have a place, they're like diversions for children to keep them occupied and entertained. But once you hit adulthood, you get rid of them because they're not, they're not, um, they're not serious. So that kind of an idea based in a theology will certainly tilt people away from the importance of sport because it positions them as something that's superficial because you view the body as this kind of like vehicle as opposed to this enmeshed 
with the mind and spirit entity. Um, so it's, it's, uh, you know, you could pick out how that manifests in different cultures and different time periods, for example. But I think broadly speaking, it, it relates to something like that. Like when you disentangle the body and the mind, that's when you miss the importance that sport have. And if you understand that the body and the mind are connected, well, shoot, it becomes apparent then that, that sport is this arena for moral, for moral development and, 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 and character development. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that cross-culturally, how it just manifests itself differently depending on the culture. Because clearly <laughs> some cultures don't have that disconnect and you can see how important sport is within that culture. Uh, it's a it's an interesting point. I never thought of it like that. I like that. <laughs> Here we go. <clears throat> so currently, I know you're part of the tribal training crew, right? Yeah, I thought yep. I recognized Good. the sleeves. <laughs> nice. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? I, I know top level stuff, but for those not familiar with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm wearing this because I'm going to go out on a trail run uh, pretty much like right after this. And as a busy dad, I don't have a lot of time to get my workouts in. So it's like everything's got to be ready to go right when the work <laughs> is done. It's like I'm out. I'm out the door. Right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm already fine. in my gear. I'm already. I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting down here. As soon as we're done, I'm on the lift. <laughs> you get it, bro. You get it. Like, that's what we got. That's what we got to do. We got to find our we got to find our our, our our way through through all of our re responsibility. Um. Yeah, tribal tribal training has a very special place in my heart for a number of reasons. It's run by you know a good friend, brother of mine, uh, Ryan Dreyer, um, and he started this as basically just like a a, a triathlon training club. Um, but one of the things I do, in addition to some of the coaching, is I consult, uh, especially for like fitness trainers, um, and in particular those who work online. Um, and what I help them do is tap into that deepness of sport. Um, so I've worked with Ryan over the past year, helping him bring out what endurance has meant to him, how it's helped transform his life, connecting it to those deep themes of history and in philosophy that I was sort of just briefly touching upon, and then allowing him to then communicate that message back out to his tribe, right? To the people that he trains and the community and uh, that, that he's fostered. And uh, his group, I believe is almost like a template for the problem that I was addressing earlier. This idea that, you know, guys give up, like their, their athletic dreams are ripped away from them. And then there's no place for them to go and responsibly find new athletic dreams to push themselves. Um, and also feel like they're part of, part of a team. That's another reason that, that yeah. we love sports so much. Right. And what tribal training is, it's like being a part of like the most rad online team possible. So everybody's kind of like in their own races, but everyone's training towards something that's really big. And we all share what's going on with our training in terms of like, oh, we did, I did this run today, or this is my fueling, or this is the problem I'm running into. Can anybody help? Um, and you know, Ryan's sort of like the coordinator and the guide and the teacher and all this. Um, but, but what he's given people is this 
ability to dream to to go after like a goal that they have for themselves and to feel supported um along al- along the way and i i truly believe it's a model that needs to be replicated a thousand times over because he's not going to be able to bring everybody into tribal but there's as i as, you know as we mentioned there's like millions and millions of guys who this is what they need like this is what you need yeah. you need to be pushing yourself in the arena in competing in something and you need to feel a community behind you and you need to be supporting people inside of that community to feel like you're part of a team and not in like some phony way. It's, it's real. It's a real, it's a real team. You know, we were on a call last night. There's 19 of us on this team call because 13 of us competed last weekend. You know, I was one of the people who competed, Oh, there's 13 of us competing in different styles of races all the way from like half marathons to we ran a backyard ultra marathon. I did a hundred kilometers. Uh, one of our guys did a f- almost a five hour rowing competition. Uh, <laughs> another guy did a, f- yeah, another guy did like a 50 K out in the desert. Right. Like, so you look at these people on the team, you're like, Holy, like everyone is pushing themselves and that makes me want to go harder. And then when I go harder, it makes somebody else want like, and everybody feeds off the positive energy and pushes themselves. And, and yeah. I'm telling, I'm, I'm telling you, it's the way it's that's, that's what, that's what guys need. Um, it's what they're missing. It's that meaning and that purpose that is, that derives from putting a big physical challenge up there. Um, yeah. And I'm somebody who's like, I haven't competed I've been trail running. That's my sport of choice. Uh, now I've been trail running basically on my own as what I kind of describe as like a punk rocker, um, for the past like 10 years. I just, I don't have a training regimen or protocol. I don't have, I I just come up with it on my own. I'm like, here's what I feel like doing. seems to be working. I'm going to keep, keep, keep doing it kind of style of, uh, of, of, of running. And I've never felt the need to sort of get into the, the formal arena of competition, but, uh, once I did this year, it was the first time for me, uh, was part of the team. We all ran a 50 K ultra down in Indy and there was a whole group of us and just being with everybody running the race, like supporting everybody. It's like, Oh, I missed this. Uh, I missed the energy. I missed the ability to sort of like, see what I could do. Uh, even though the results, I don't really care too much about the results. Like for me, it was like. I ran with the group for the first half of this 50 K, which is about like 15 and a half miles or so. So we ran at a pace that's slower than what I run. And we're running on a trail that's far easier than what I run on. (laughs) So I'm not really, I'm not really feeling the burn, right. Or feeling the pain. Right. So at halfway, I just say, you know, guys, like I'm going to go like, I'll see you later. And I just went and Everyone told, and you know, the guys were telling me like, when you sprinted away from us, like, wow, like that was some, we didn't, we didn't ever think that that was going to happen. Like that you were able to do something like, like that. And to me, that's yeah. like, that's cooler than crossing a finish line at a whatever time. It's like, it's validation yeah. that my strange style that I've developed on my own <laughs> gets results um, that, that can, that can, that can impress people. And, yeah. and to me, that's the validation that I'm after, uh, more so like, so just then, then what a number can rep can represent. 
Um, it's a really long-winded way of saying like travel is awesome. If you have any interest in anything endurance related, you need to contact Ryan. And uh, I've helped him build a, a, a really fast track into his systems and into the onto the team. Um, so so yeah, I saw come and his, join uh, us. I saw his uh, I think eight week accelerator program that he just said he's spent a few months probably working with you and a couple others just honing it all in getting it all ready yeah i reached out to him <clears throat> i think you had tweeted about it a couple months ago about the 100 miler coming up next year i reached out to him and said i'm i'm definitely down for that but i got whoa i got i got a couple of pretty ambitious goals for next year for my endurance and my uh, nice body, and my bodybuilding stuff i'm gonna do a show next year too so it's gonna be fun that's to, beauty uh, man it's gonna be fun to <laughs> hopefully i can uh get my schedules right so i'm not just like a super gigantic person trying to run a hundred miler but if it happens yeah happens, then, uh, I'm uh yeah man if you come on the <laughs> so we're doing so so we're doing a team team race and this was sort of born out of the experience of all running the 50k together because it was just like magic man it was like magic yeah, and it's it just like, like we it. could recreate if so so what ryan did the year before was he took a whole bunch of strength athletes and he turned them into endurance athletes. He turned them into Ironman in like six months, which is ludicrous. And he got eight guys who had basically like never been in endurance across an iron, a full Ironman finish. And this is the most important part without injury, like without injury. Yeah. And like when people saw that and they saw like the love and the support and just like the bonding that happened, it was like, FOMO is like, Oh my, I need that. <laughs> that's what, that's what I want. And, and I working with Ryan and knowing all those, uh, a lot of those guys, right? Like I knew that was, was going to happen and it's something I wanted to be a part of, but like yeah. I was Canadian and I was not allowed into your country or even to sign up for an Ironman race for certain choices that I decided to make or not make uh, during the years yeah. 2020 to 2022. Um, so, you know, I felt like I missed out on that, um, but I knew, and I, and I tell this to him all the time, like you guys just, you dropped a, a nuclear bomb on this fitness, fitness Twitter space. You dropped a bomb and we're going to be looking at the fallout for the next decade. And that sort of energy transferred into the 50k where we all did it together. And I talked to like a dozen people or so they're saying, they said, I saw you guys do that 50K and I wanted to do so. I, I want to do something like that. Like, I want to go with you guys. Like, I want to get into it. Um, and that was sort of the birth of this 100 mile idea um, nice. to go run a 100 mile race as a team, starting together, finishing together uh, out in Zion. I think we're like 15 or 16 of us now. Like, That's so awesome. I'm yeah, pumped that you're going to be there, man. Oh, it's <laughs> going to be so good. There's something something special about the community aspect of fitness and that's that's exactly what i'm trying to foster as well with my coaching and fitness community uh, with the dad specific element because it's severely lacking and you you talk about it constantly it's just a severe lack of it in any sort of fitness space and especially mm -hmm. with male the I think we get the short end of the stick sometimes on a lot of this stuff because we're supposed to suppress all of that and just man up, which is mm. bullshit. But it's also necessary yes. to get some shit done. It, it's it's a weird <laughs> dichotomy. 
that we have to juggle. Yeah. And we don't have that. Yeah. We need that support from everyone else because, like, dude, I don't – how am I supposed to man up? And then also just deal with this thing, too. And it's like I need that support of other people going through the same shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you put your finger on something that's really, really important when it comes to men. Like, as men, it's easy for us to sacrifice for other people. Like we feel responsible. So it's like, if you're, if you're like a family man, it's like, it's obvious to me that I can sacrifice some things that are important to me to take care of my kids or to take care of my wife or to produce like, and this obviously comes for most dads and guys is like, it, I can work 60 hours a week, right? I can sacrifice. I don't want to work 60 hours a week, but I will because it allows me to provide more for my family. Like it's easy for men to rationalize sacrificing on behalf of other people because we're supposed to be the providers and the protectors, but we fail at adequately making those same sacrifices for the things we desire that bring us meaning and fulfillment in a real way. Right. So it's like, Oh, I sacrificed whatever so that now I can go and watch football for 12 hours with my friends and get drunk on the couch. It's like, well, that's not the sacrifice that makes you better and is really truly meaningful to you. Right. But something like doing a hundred mile race with 15 other guys, like that is something that you might really desire, but you won't give yourself the permission to go after. You won't give yourself the permission to sacrifice the late nights to switch for early mornings to get up to trade, right? It's very difficult for us to make those sacrifices for ourselves when we are so used to and comfortable making them, making them for other people. And that's one of the things that, you know, my, my coaching it deals with. It's like, give yourself the permission to sacrifice for something you desire just for yourself. And by doing that, you actually become better able to sacrifice for the others that matter most to you. It's an enhancement. It doesn't take it away. It enhances. It enhances your ability to be a better provider and protector if you are fulfilling something that's deeply meaningful and personal to you. And especially as men, if we can feel that physically in our bodies like we're conquering right that's why sports are so powerful right because we're overcoming we're overcoming and and we're proclaiming strength and power right and we are going through pain and there's courage and bravery and all these like what are what labeled like toxic masculine characteristics or attributes it's like no we need those they're beneficial and we have to be able to feel them in a positive way like we are building towards something Uh, and this is why sports are such a valuable arena for us because we're very privileged and very lucky to live at the time of history that we do where we can choose to be uncomfortable where where we actually have to choose to be uncomfortable (laughs) as opposed to hey there's some bandits out there that are about to come into our village. And if you don't go out and like protect us and put your body on the line, men, we're all going to go or, Hey men, we're going to starve. We need you to go out and hunt the big game. Right? So it was, this was just something we automatically had 
to do because of you know the scarcity that we lived in but now we live in a world of abundance and convenience and luxury and comfort we still have that need within us to be conquerors in a sense to be to, to prove ourselves as brave and courageous um but we don't have the opportunities right in front of us so we actually have to go out and seek them uh and this is where the this is where people stop they don't seek it and they feel as if they do start to seek it it's back to that idea this is trivial why am i going to train to go run a hundred mile race when i'm not going to be a pro runner where there's no monetary like it's 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 silly it seems so silly but this is actually what goes through people's minds it's like why would i bother to put my time and effort towards something so like that is going to be so painful for me and the only reward i'm going to have is like a sense of satisfaction society has told me that i've got to work if i'm working hard towards something and sacrificing i've got to be compensated right which is why it's like the only people we respect as athletes as adults are the pros right it's like they get to do it they're allowed they've got permission but you know your average your average joe or jane or whatever they don't get to that's not we're not allowed to because that's silly that's a misuse of your it's a misuse of your time and it's like the most backwards kind of kind me too but you you and i both know that's what gets played in the heads of like all these millions of people right (laughs) who maybe want to go and do something but then it's like all of these messages and all these sort of like internal battles uh they get in they get in the way and, and and it's a it's a darn shame, man. It's a darn shame. Yeah, all of these uh, societally imposed limitations accelerated way faster than our brains and bodies did. So it's there's a huge disconnect. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, it drives me crazy when I hear people say, "Oh, you you went and trained for four hours." Just like, yeah, I mean. That's what you have to do when you do endurance training. That's just part of the protocol sometimes. And it was beautiful out. So who wouldn't want to go run through the woods for a couple hours? I'm just, I'm resetting my mind. I'm reconnecting with nature. There's, what did you sat on your couch for four hours? You want me to give you shit about that? Like, why, why is that a thing that you're allowed to make me try to feel bad about it? And I can't say anything about the things I disagree with that you're doing. It's, it just seems so backwards, but that's, uh, yep. that's where we're at these days. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, sad, rea- yeah, sad, sad reality. Yeah. I'm hoping, uh, hoping to join you guys for the hundred miler. And I have my, my eyes set on the dragons back for next year. I don't know if you've seen any of my tweets about that one, but that was what got me into endurance training in general. It's, nice. uh, it's the I'm running. It, it's a six day race. It's running the entire country of Wales. Um, it's a uh, it's all trail running, mountain running. It's, I think it's it's about three hundred and seventy kilometers with about a hundred seventeen thousand meter elevation change. So it's a it's a pretty gnarly gnarly event. But that's sounds, my, sounds that's like my ultimate so, goal. Sounds like fun. That's what it sounds like. Sounds like an adventure, man. Man, man needs an adventure. Man needs a quest, right? Like, yeah. like that's what we need. We need to go on a hero's journey, right? And, <laughs> right. And however, we it's so successful in storytelling. It's because we all desire that. 
And what's super cool about the sport realm is I'm going to throw a big, I'm going to throw an academic word in. I apologize, everybody. Uh, it shows the consilience of the hero's journey in all aspects of your being. And consilience is this fancy word that just means like independent streams of inquiry all falling on the same solution. So it's like, when historians and psychologists and sociologists and biologists, they all come to the same conclusion and they're not working together. It's like, Oh, that's probably the truth. Like we're probably somewhere <laughs> over, we're probably somewhere over the truth. And this idea of the hero's journey, it's just like break yourself down in order to build yourself up. You got to break yourself down. You got to sacrifice. You got to give something away. And in that process, you become stronger. Now, think about what happens when you build muscle physiologically in the body. Every time you go to lift weight, each of your muscles goes on its own little unique hero's journey, doesn't it? Like it yeah. sacrifices, it moves forward ah, in order to be broken down and then to gain new knowledge and to come back even stronger. Physiologically, <laughs> like bio, you go down into the, the, the very fine biological descriptions of what actually happens, you know, breaking down the muscle and it's like well shoot that's a bit of a hero's journey and then it's like yeah. psychologically that makes sense and cult culturally that makes sense and then theologically it makes it makes sense right so this hero's yeah. journey is not just like true in terms of narrative but it's like true physiologically as well like and in all these other and in, in all the other ways so it's like the reason why it gets told over and over and over and over and over again is because it's the truth of humanity. Like, and you think about the collective story of humanity, our ability to colonize the earth, right. And dominate yeah. as the, as the species we had to lead, like every element of that story is a hero's journey as well. So it's one of those, like, it's one of those like meta truths. That's just true everywhere. You, you, you apply hero's journey, basic structure, everywhere and it will be true it's not it i don't know if there is a an area where you couldn't but i'm sure there might be one or two but um yeah that's how confident I, that's how confident i am that it's like it's just that that's it and then you know to, to move it a step further it's like well if the hero's journey is the truth in a sense what does that mean it's like well you better submit to suffering that's what it means right <laughs> it's you better submit to discomfort because there's no other way there's no other yeah. there's no other way in terms of positive outcomes or positive growth or progress or improvement or whatever you word you want to use like and they're different but but generally speaking that's what we're all after um so if you want to get better at anything you best be prepared to sacrifice and struggle um because it's the only way you're going to learn the new things that are going to that are necessary for you to get to that next level I like how you phrased it earlier, um, giving myself permission. That's uh, it's definitely something I struggle with a lot. And <clears throat> I know it comes up a lot um, when I'm talking to my brain doctor. And he's like, you just, you just got to like, not, he didn't say it verbatim, but yeah, I, I really like that. It's a, such a simplistic way to look at it. And it's nice when I remember it. But oftentimes I forget and I'm like, yeah, I can, I cannot do this thing because I need to do X, Y, Z or whatever with my family. So it's a, 
it's a nice little short, simple way that'll maybe uh, it'll like pop into my head, be like, hey, do this for yourself. I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I should, because I I've tweeted about it a lot that I've slowly become better at not feeling selfish for working out or spending time to meditate or go for long endurance runs because the compounding effects afterwards just so much better for my family because I'm in a better mood or at whatever reason you want. It's, it's mm -hmm. the biggest ROI for my family that I've, that I've come to notice, but I just still, even, even knowing that consciously, it gets in my way mm -hmm. all the time. And it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't give myself the permission to do that right now, but it's, it's imperative that I do more frequently, I think. And I yeah, really, absolutely. I really like the way you put that. Absolutely. Thank you. And like, here's a good way for, you know, for you and, and the listeners out here to even visualize something like this, right? So as men, we want to pour into other people in terms of like sacrificing, right? And, and, and giving up part of us so that, that we can provide or protect. But when you don't give yourself space to do the things you love, you're not at your best. You're not at 100%. So if you are neglecting to sort of feed the sort of spiritual needs that you have to do something just for yourself, your cup is never full. You're never filling that cup all the way up. So you might only ever be operating at 50%. And so you pouring out everything you have is still just 50%. So by you going on the long runs or the meditation or doing your lifts, what you're doing is you're filling your cup up as close to 100% as possible. So now when I go to pour in, I've got way more to pour into people. I have so much more to give because I've taken care of myself and I've fulfilled my needs, right? It's the same reason why, you know, when the oxygen comes down on the plane, they don't tell you to put the oxygen mask on somebody else first. It's... Put it on yourself so that you can then take care of other people. It's the same thing when it comes to dads and men. If you don't put the damn oxygen mask on yourself, you will run out. And then there'll be nothing left of you to pour in. And you see it yeah. all the time. Burnout, yeah. right? Or, or the physical neglect catches up, right? with these dads, with these people who aren't moving their bodies and they're not giving themselves self space to dream and to aspire and, and all those things. Right. So it's another powerful visual that you can think about. So it's like, well, yeah, if I don't do this, I'm never topping my cup up. And if my cup is never filled, well, then I'm never giving what I really can to everybody else who's depending on me. It's powerful. I like that a lot. <laughs> so I, I know in your tweets quite often, you, you post a picture. I see you have the, the mace. No, not the maces. Or do you have maces as well? Um, your, your home gym stuff. But I see you have like yep. these little, it looked like uh, gymnastics, like blocks and like balance stuff. Is that, is that what you're doing? Can you talk about yep. that a little bit? I know there's no visual on here right now, but that's, this question's for it's me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no problem. Uh, so it kind of goes to like my punk rock attitude towards training. Um, yeah. I like to use the activities that I love to do to inform how I should do the activities I don't like to do. So I don't like lifting weights. I don't like 
calisthenics. I don't like resistance training. Um, but I understand it's something I have to do. And I love my, the sports that I love are trail running and playing golf. So once I know that those are the things I want to do and get better at, it's like, okay, now I need to find some ways that I can train those particular motion patterns in a way that I think is going to be fun. So uh, in order to be good at golf, you have to have strong hands for grip. So I started looking at things that could combine grip strength with core upper body and rotational work. So that mm. led me to things like steel clubs, uh, steel oh, maces. And one of my favorite implements uh, to use is weighted jump rope. So that's like a jump rope yeah. that weighs like a quarter pound or a half pound or a full pound or two pounds. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but I'm telling you, try to move two pounds over your body just like three oh yeah it's not oh, yeah. you're gonna torch your shoulders and your wrists and your whole forearms and everything is gonna everything's gonna suck like it's not easy um so that was really it it was just thinking about motion patterns thinking about ways i want to work out i'm not going to the gym i hate waiting uh i'm somebody i'm just somebody <laughs> who wants to get at it get it over get at it get it over with i know that i don't enjoy it right so I need to lessen all of the barriers for me to go and do it, which means I got to have it at my home. So it's, it's really just like figuring things out piece by piece, brick by brick. Um, and then eventually finding things that you just like to do. Like, I don't like the idea of getting under a barbell, but the idea of swinging around a giant mace, that's kind of cool. <laughs> like you can do like, <laughs> that's kind of cool to me. So it's like, okay, let's, Let's try it. Let's try it out. And same thing with the with the gymnastics implements in terms of like uh, working on different kinds of uh, resistance training and strength and balance and, and coordination and core strength. You know, balance is huge in trail running. Like it's just what you have yeah. to have if you want to if you want to move fast over uneven terrain, you had better have good balance and you better have good upper body strength to coordinate all that balance uh, with your, with your, with your lower body. So it really was like, almost like alchemy that brought me to some of those implements. Um, nice. alchemy and fun, I would say. <laughs> yeah. I'm familiar with them just because when I was younger, <clears throat> before I got into barbell, I was exclusively calisthenics and gymnastics based. So I'd always be, um, seeking and trying to find alternative ways that I could get stronger or, just improve agility really that was the biggest one and i remember i had a subscription to a magazine called my mad methods i think and they, it was mm -hmm. just an alternative based um, workout magazine but they always had kettlebells and the maces and the clubs those were the, the indian clubs those were the first time i'd ever seen those and i was yeah. like oh man this stuff's awesome <laughs> Very, very popular implements in the 19th century. Very popular. They need the Indian yeah. clubs and some of the mace workouts and things and, and, and things like that. Um, super cool. Um, super cool things. But it, what I think, you know, people should take away. It's like, if you're not super interested in the gym and in the motions of the gym, that's okay. You don't need them to get fit. And yeah. what you probably should do if you're somebody like me who just doesn't envision themselves really ever liking the gym, which is fine. Like, I think that's most people. Most people don't yeah. particularly like those motions. There's some people that it's like 
they love it. And those are the people that go on to be like bodybuilders or powerlifters or strong, which is great. That's great. Yeah. But most people just, they hate that stuff. Okay. Like they, they absolutely despise it. So it's like, <laughs> find, a, find something you love to do physically, which is for most people like playing a sport, find that realize you want to get better at it and you can get better at it and then be like, Oh shoot, I better go do some of that stuff. I don't want to do, but this is why I talk about love all the time. Love is the foundation of my coaching. Love is the foundation of sort of my, my philosophy on all this. Love is what allows you to willingly take on discomfort, right? Like that's what you do when you love somebody in a relationship. Love is not always happiness and sunshine and rainbows. It's like frustration and anger and difficulty and, and, and swallowing it and being uh, discomfort uh, like, and, and being uncomfortable with it and maybe sacrificing a part of your ego right in order to keep the relationship because you value that more than like like a temporary status win over the other person right yeah so so you take that philosophy and it's like well if i love in my case if i love to trail run if i don't resistance train i won't be able to trail run <laughs> so it's easy you know i love the activity that i will this will enable me to do so i don't mind making the sacrifice in order to do it and then over time it's like now I actually don't mind doing those workouts. They're not a big, they're not as big of a hurdle. It's not as big of a, 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 a an adversity uh, for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. I love it. <laughs> so you and uh, it was Dylan, right? You guys did the 50 K recently. I think I just saw the. PC. Yes, sir. Was that? Yes. That wasn't your first culture. Cause you just did the, you did the one over the summer too, but. Yeah, it was the 50K that we did. And then him and I, we just did a backyard ultra, which is like an interesting format. It is like a race by loop. So on the hour, every hour, you do a four and one sixth mile loop. Um, and the winner is the person who goes the longest. So you don't actually know how long the race is. So we planned on doing 100. We planned on doing 100 miles. We packed up for 100 miles. We had a camp. We had everything. Didn't end up happening, which was fine. Um because it wasn't like a make or break thing. It was more just to test ourselves and to see what, what we could do. Um, yeah. Super cool format, super, super nice test and, uh, and all that jazz. Um, but yeah, we did it. And um, for me, it was not as physically demanding because I'm a relatively quick runner. I've been running for a long time. And even before I was running, I was a soccer player, elite level soccer player. Uh, so you just, you, you become a runner. Um, <laughs> you have to. So I was running at a, you know, my, my goal was to pace Dylan, who's I, I do coaching with as well. Uh, we do two on one coaching. He's an expert nutritionist and mindfulness guy as well. Um, so he wanted to push to a hundred and I wanted to pace him. I wanted to support him and go as far as he wanted to go or needed to go. Um, then when he re found his limit, uh, and he, it was an amazing race that he did. It was just awesome. Uh, I was like, I feel great. Like I haven't really elevated my heart rate at all. I don't even think I got above zone two to tell you the truth in the 12 hours of running 50 miles. Um, I don't have a, I didn't have a watch to track it either, but I, I, I would be shocked if I was, I would have been shocked if I was up there. Like I was feeling good and my body was great. <laughs> so I just decided Three more laps gets me to 100K. I'm Canadian. That's a great metric number. I'm like, that's, that's all fun. I really need. 
Yeah. And I'm a dad. Like I got to get back home. Like if I'm running for the next 24 <laughs> hours, my son, my son, like my Sunday is going to be awful. And then Monday is not going to be good. And you know, I got to get back and just be dad. Um, so at that yeah. point it's like being home in one piece a little bit quicker is way more important than just grinding out whatever to whatever arbitrary number you think other people might be impressed with. Um, yeah. so we did that. And, um, in my true punk rock style, I, uh, I ran the the last lap to get to 100K, the fastest that I had run all day, the fastest lap of anybody all day. Um, there was this one lady who ran, who won every single, she won every single lap, not like it matters. Um, but I was just yeah. like, it's my last lap. I'm going to take this one from you. Oh, I'm taking it for you. I'm taking it from you. And I'm, it's like a statement, right? Because it's like, shouldn't everybody be like hurting and not being able to push? And it's just like, no, man, here, like push. Let's go. Yeah. Like. It, it was awesome. awesome. It was so much fun to just fly and be unencumbered and just be like in the moment and, and excited. Um, it, it hurt afterwards. Like I definitely, <laughs> I definitely emptied the tank and then it's like bodies in motion, stay in motions and bodies at rest are in trouble. Um, so it was like, you run for your, your 15 hours in motion. And then all of a sudden you, you stop at your highest intensity level. And it's like, the body is not happy about that. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. Because, you know, people were pushing themselves and suffering all day long. And it, I didn't feel right not getting into that, that sort of the, those deep waters with those people and just being like, oh, yeah, I ran 100K and I feel spring as a chicken. It's like, that's not really how you want to go out. Um, right. So, 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 so that's, that, that's kind of it. That's kind of it. That's awesome. Well, I want to respect your time here, Jordan. Um, we'll wrap it on up. Do you have any, uh, promos or anything you want to pitch here at the end i know you got coaching one-on-one -on -one. i know you got coaching with dylan you got your newsletter you got the, i don't know how to say it fia academy fia yeah the fia fia academy it's like my my sort of my my brand of where i bring everybody in um yeah i mean i i have my coaching options one-on-one -on -one, so people who are interested in consistency and fitness or in using physical challenges to break out of mental or spiritual ruts. Um, so I help people both find consistency with the gym, but I also have helped people like launch businesses, uh, like get on track with their careers by physically challenging them because of, again, this connection between mind, body and spirit. Um, yeah, if you're looking to really go to the next level, like you can, you can hook up with Dylan and I, cause he's, he'll, he'll dial you in on nutrition and not just performance, but in that same sense of like input equals output. Uh, and what you eat really has a, a, a tremendous impact on how you feel about things. And, and, oh, yeah. and we sort of, we, we sort of bridge all that together. Um, I write a sub stack called the athletic philosopher. So you can check that out, but you know, the best way to just get into touch with me or to follow any of the things I'm doing is to find me on Twitter or X. Um, so just come follow me. If you have any interest, if you have any interest in what I do, my DMS are open. So literally just message me. I'm just a, you know, I'm just a dad. I'm just a dude. Um, so if any of the things you've heard here, like pique your interest, you want to learn more, you maybe just want to have a conversation and pick my brain on some sport history or philosophy. Cool, man. Uh, or, 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 or woman, um, whoever you are out there. Um, yeah. DM me, get in contact with me. Um, and, and all those things. And also, uh, I'll, I'll pump, uh, team travel one more time. Uh, so if you're interested in endurance or anything that 
coach Ryan is doing. Yeah, man. Uh, travel training. I, I think his handle is like at the Ryan Dreyer. Um, and yeah, come join our, come join our yeah. team basically. Yeah. I'll drop links to all those in the, in the show notes. Make it uh, easier Perfect. for everyone. Thank you. Thank, thank you, sir. This was super cool. Awesome conversation. Thank you for giving me the time and the space. Um, this was so much fun. No, man, I really appreciate you coming on. And as, as we all know, being a dad, it's hard to find an hour. So, uh, Jordan, be seeing you, man. I really appreciate it. Hopefully we'll see you at the hundred miler. Yes, sir. And if you are coming, we'll actually be seeing ourselves before that because there's a mandatory training camp. That's part of it all. Oh yeah. Perfect. Fun times. Perfect. All right. Peace and love everybody. Thank you for li- Thank you for listening. And, uh, Move your bodies in ways that are beautiful and that you love. That's my final advice. Love it. Can't end any better. (laughs) What's up, Dead Fit Dads? When you're not chasing your kids around, I would highly recommend you taking a break and reading my Dead Fit weekly newsletter. It's more workouts, tips, dead jokes, all that fun waiting for you. Links below in the description. (laughs) 